Hey guys, welcome to Rihanna's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's a third year PhD student at the University of Miami. She's studying amyloid bodies, which are clumps of proteins in the nuclei of the stress cells. And she also studies their roles in cancer and diseases like Alzheimer's. I am so glad to welcome and introduce Chloe Kerr. Thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to begin our discussion. Hi, thanks so much for having me today. Yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled to talk to you. So thank you for coming on. Firstly, I wanted to know what exactly is it that motivated you to get into this field? Great question. So to get into why I got into biochemistry as a field of the whole, it was probably during my undergraduate research. I didn't actually originally like science, if I'm completely honest with you, back in high school. Uh, but I got involved in a research project my senior year of high school. And that was what really excited me about all of science, because a lot of science you can be, it's quite uh, boring, I guess. I, I don't really know a better word in high school settings, at least for me, because there was a lot of reading out of textbooks and then taking multiple choice tests. And that didn't really excite me uh, because it seemed like, oh, everything's known about science. What else is there new to discover? But being on a research project uh, really excited me to like learn about the unknown. So when I went into college, that's exactly what I wanted to get into. So I went to research project after research project, uh, trying to find out what area I was really interested in, because science is a very big topic, right? You can be in physics, you can be in biochemistry, you can be in evolutionary biology, there's a whole span. Uh, so I was trying out all different fields. I went from bacteriology to medicine. Uh, but I kept coming back to a real interest in cell mechanisms, um, how cell biology works down the very basic, like a nucleus, right, in the cytoplasm, looking very small inside of the cell. So when I decided that I wanted to continue research after undergrad, graduate school seemed like the right fit. And into that, I was like, I need to look more into cell mechanisms. That's what I was interested in. Uh, so I, when I was applying for grad programs in general, I made sure to look for professors that I was interested in the research that were looking at cell mechanisms, doing very cool new research, in my opinion. And that's what led me to the work I'm doing now in amyloid bodies. Wow, that sounds like an amazing journey. And I do agree in high school when there's just tests and a lot of learning about mm -hmm. each and every chapter does get monotonous. But uh, then again, if you get out of the classroom and you do uh, practical tests or you just uh, put really your hands into what's actually going on, then that's where the fun begins, uh, according to me, because I'm a high school student and as soon as practicals began, I was so interested in everything other than when, when I used to learn everything in the textbook. So I could actually understand what's going on instead of just learning. So I completely agree with you. And um, yeah, so was this a journey for you like, on the spot, like last minute, or did you have something else in mind that you want to get into in high school? Great question. So yes, I was actually not science interested at all. I was in things like mock trial. Uh, we did a lot of rhetoric and speeches in my high school. And so I was really interested in like law or business. And those were the big 
ideas I had going into college. And then doing that research opportunity my senior year of college uh, switched my whole focus. Uh, someday down the line, I, I did during undergrad, I did major not only in molecular biology, but also in legal studies. Uh, because I'm still really interested in law and business and how all of that works. So ideally, after grad school, I'd love to find a way to combine all of that together, the interest in law and business, as well as my love for science. Uh, but that's the tricky part, and that's what I've still got to figure out. Right. So, um, I mean, STEM is a huge field, so I'm sure there may be a place for law or business in STEM. So probably like you can go into, um, you know, forensics that will have a bit of um, dealing with law and um, business. I don't know. There must be a different aspect that you can deal with, maybe in pharmaceuticals. So it's just yes. it's a huge field that there's so much to get into. That's what makes it so interesting. Exactly. I think that's what's so exciting about STEM in general is it's so interdisciplinary with where you could apply what you want to do, because I could stay in academia. I could uh, become a professor myself. I could go into pharmaceuticals, like you said. Uh, but, yeah, there's so many other crossroads. Forensic science is something I'm really interested in. Um, there's also something called uh, venture capital, where you pretty much help invest in biotech companies to make them big and as successful like they are today. Um, there's also things like patent law, where you help scientists patent what discoveries they've made. Um, yeah, so really the possibilities are endless. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So um, now in university, I'm sure you must be doing a lot of experiments in your field. So what's one of the best experiments that you've had in which you had uh, a ton lot of fun? I think, so it's not exactly like it's just one experiment I've done once because it's probably my most common experiment, but I love looking at cells under the microscope. That's always I think it goes back to like the cell biology, looking at the very like the microscopic level of what's going on inside a cell. And so immunofluorescence is definitely what I think is the coolest. And so that's when you look at uh, probing for a protein under the microscope and you get to see where that protein is localizing. Uh, and so I do different time points sometimes, too. Uh, so I stress my cells out during heat shock. And then I might look at different time points along that to see where that protein is moving during different periods of time. Uh, and I always think that's really fascinating because I've tested probably a hundred different proteins at this point, but you never know what you're going to get until you go and look under the microscope and image it. I always think that's really awesome. Yeah, definitely. Like our body is so complex and each and every mm -hmm. cell has a different aspect. And, um, and that too, there are so many cells in our body and so many things to look into. So when you look through that microscope, it just... It's like a different world out there just inside our body. So that's all so fascinating. And um, also, I wanted to ask you, you're also um, into amyloid bodies. Like that's what you're specializing in. So talk to me a bit more about that. And what do you do in order to study that um, part of your career? Yes. So actually, when I started graduate school, I had no idea what amyloid bodies are. It's a very new research uh, field, which is actually what my boss discovered, uh, which is part of the reason I think it's so cool being in this lab. But these amyloid bodies are, appear in the center of our cells, um, in the nucleolus of our cells during states of stress. And they are what I call clumps of proteins. So it reconfigures the nucleoli to hold a bunch of different proteins in there that normally aren't in the nucleolus at all, um, but they're kept there to uh, kind of protect these proteins because during these states of stress, such as heat or low pH, uh, the cells are 
not happy. Things are getting degraded. Uh, lots of bad stuff is going on in the cell. And so the cell is trying to protect all these proteins that otherwise would get degraded and then end up killing the cell later on. Uh, so the amyloid body captures all of that, keeps it inside. And we call it an amyloid body because it's in an amyloid form. And you might have heard of amyloids before because amyloids are normally thought of in neurodegenerative diseases, which are things like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, that all have different amyloids or amyloid plaques involved in their diseases. Uh, and so that's one of the really cool uh, uh, crossovers between amyloid bodies and other amyloid diseases, because these amyloid bodies are uh, helpful for the cell, right? They help protect these proteins during states of stress. Uh, but they're also a really cool way to look at amyloids, because otherwise, most other amyloids that are looked at in research are disease amyloids, ones that we want to get rid of altogether. So the idea being, if I can, or in the lab in general, can understand more about how these amyloid bodies form, and function, we could apply this to other amyloid research. Yeah, that sounds so cool. And uh, do you think that uh, these de uh, neurogenerative diseases can uh, be sorted anytime soon, such as cancer and Alzheimer's? Can they be eradicated? That's a great question. I hope so. I hope so. I think it's, unfortunately, it's not one of those things which you can just you think there'll be one cure in a month and that'll be it. I think it's going to be something like, for example, cancer research. That it's not like you can just have one drug and it's going to treat all cancer diseases. We have multiple different types of drugs because there's so many different types of cancer out there, right? Um, each one focusing on a different type of mutation. So I think that's more likely in the next, say, 100 years or so, we're going to have a much better picture of how to treat each one of these types of mutations. Um, but definitely there's so much research going on nowadays. I, I, fingers crossed we can get to the bottom of all of this soon. So um, after your PhD, what, are you going to be looking into how to deal with um, these diseases like cancer, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease? I'm not entirely sure yet. So that is something I do need to sort out what I want to do after graduate school. I think it goes back to there's just so many possibilities of what you can do with a PhD uh, in biochemistry. And all of it sounds really interesting to me. So I think it's uh, narrowing down what's most interesting to me or maybe what I can do next that would combine most of my interests, right? Maybe like law, business, and science. Um, I do think eventually I'm going to move away from more bench research. Um, that just happens when kind of the natural progression as you go along in any sort of science field, you eventually stop doing the experiments yourself and instead tell other people to do the experiments for you. Uh, and then eventually you're writing the grants so other people are telling people to do experiments and so on. Uh, but right now I'm really enjoying myself. I'm really enjoying the science. I'm really enjoying doing the bench work. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it all. Yeah, that's great. So I'm sure like you're in your third, third year. So there's, I think one more year left for your PhD. I'm, right. So uh, I'm sure. Yeah. So it, American PhDs typically are about five to six years. I am, however, hoping to get out within four years. Fingers crossed. You never know for sure when you're in grad school, right? But Fingers crossed it's in four years. Oh, okay. So yeah, probably like four years. So I'm sure there must be still a lot more left. So that that one year, I think, will help you realize what else you can do when you go forward in your career. Definitely, definitely. 
Uh, so now what is the best as since you're so like um, into this biochemistry aspect of what your field, what is the most interesting and most fascinating thing about your job? Mm. I think it's always the potential that you're going to discover something new and you don't even realize it because I, my first year of my PhD, I discovered my new, what I'm studying now, which is the reversal of amyloid bodies. And when I found it, I was like, this is awesome. This is it. This is what I've discovered. And now it's going to be all about proving this for the next three years. But then I constantly surprised myself, say just last month, I discovered a whole new aspect that I never even thought I'd stumble across. It just so happened to be a byproduct of an experiment I was doing. Uh, and I think that's what's so exciting about doing research is you never know what you're going to get uh, until you do the experiment. Uh, so it makes doing a lot of experiments very much fun because you uh, might always discover something new. Right, definitely. Like everything about, as I said before, everything about a cell, if you look at it and look at it with a different perspective, there must be something different that you can find out. And uh, it's all about perspective. Maybe someone else in the same field as yours can look at it in a different way, in the same way that you do. So that's why the STEM fields are so amazing in this and they're so um, diverse and um, there's so much to look into and just simply just a cell in biochemistry. That's exactly why I love, especially the research I'm doing, because what you said, it's so interdisciplinary. What I'm studying, maybe right now it might be useful for, say, cancer and Alzheimer's disease. But yeah, in 20 years time, there might be a whole new field that can be able to combine amyloid bodies with whatever they're studying. Um, yeah, there's so many different ways that you can look at uh, research. I mean, even today, uh, the, some of the papers I'm reading, I would have never thought I would get into the field that I'm researching right now because when I started, we had no idea that there was that link between the two. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, in, as I said before, STEM is such a vast field. So um, there, there, there's biotechnology, biomedical and biochemistry. So what's the difference between all three of these fields? So it's tough. And like you said, there is a lot of overlap. Um, so biochemistry, how I see it is you are using chemistry and chemicals to understand the biological world around you versus chemistry. You are solely you're looking at chemicals and understanding how chemicals work. Um, and then the biology side is solely just looking at a biological organism and understanding how that works. So why I like biochemistry and why I ended up picking it is because it kind of it combines two fields together because you're using that chemistry side, but to understand a biological system. Oh, okay. So um, does biochemistry also involve a little bit of technology? Because, you know, as the technological advancements are just increasing uh, every year. So uh, what do you think about the automation or just the, the faster paced technology taking over labs? Oh, I think it's phenomenal. It's not just biochemistry, it's all the fields. Like genetics, for example, we have made so many breakthroughs because now we're able to have computers do so much of the sequencing. I mean, even for my work, uh, we do a lot of RNA sequencing. And 20 years ago, right, we would have never been able to look at what we're doing now, or it would have taken 10 years. And now it's just you send it off to someone and in a couple months time, you get the whole, all the results back. It's made it's made scientific discoveries so much easier. Uh, and it's, it's like a exponential growth curve because you've got more technology coming out, which is then enhancing more scientific research. And then it compounds on each other over and over.
I mean, even say 10 years later, 10 years in the future, I think everything that I'm doing now is going to be outdated. Everyone that's going to be looking at it, like, oh, you could have just used this software for it, right? Right. So technology is advancing so much. And every day um, there's new discoveries just being found by this technology that wasn't there 10 years ago, like you said. And um, uh, sometimes you just sit back and wonder that people way back in time, how did they find out discoveries like that we are studying today and uh, we're working further on? So um, honestly, I feel like they're huge inspirations and we are doing it with so much technology in our hands, thankfully, but they had nothing and they could still discover so much. So that's just awesome. A really great analogy that I've heard and I've always sworn by it is science is like building a really big wall because each advancement you make is a brick. And we take like now say the wall is about, I don't want to say halfway high, but you know, five feet high, right? Um, and we take all of the other bricks that have been built on that wall as given. Like say DNA, we didn't know what that was before, but now I work with that every single day. Um, or doing simple things like growing up new plasmids. Uh, that's something that before people had no idea how to do. And now I'm able to do it say in a week. Um, so things like that, it's like building brick on brick on brick, uh, a bigger and bigger wall. Yeah, definitely. That's perfectly put. So you're just adding on to the same things that were uh, discovered in the past and making a more efficient and more, uh, like even a, a better discovery than that was made before. Mm -hmm. That Something that probably proves what they had discovered uh, in the past and mm -hmm. will probably be discovered again in the future with so many more aspects added on to them. So um, probably in the future we'll have even more advanced technology that we able that we will be so mm -hmm. that we'll be able to see even in depth even more in depth of the cell. Mm -hmm. And um, I also wanted to ask you that uh, what do you think? Do you think that uh, robots will eventually take over um, the lab soon? Mm. So I've thought long and hard about this. My I'm still thinking more, but what my current assessment is, I think no, because robots always need someone to be able to tell them what to do. And you're never going to be able to replace human creativity, because I think that's what's so exciting about being in a lab is you get to be creative in your experiments. Um, and sometimes when you mess up an experiment, it's actually when you discover something new. That's happened to me in a couple instances where I accidentally added the wrong drug to my cells. And then I'm like, oh, I got this whole new effect that I wasn't expecting. Uh, so there's a lot in science that you need a brain for, a human functioning brain, that I don't think we'll ever be able to replace. Um, artificial intelligence, maybe that's a different story, but as of right now, I'd say no, or in the next 10 years. Robots definitely are useful for uh, doing experiments. And so there might be less bench work experiments for scientists to do. But there's always going to be someone behind the scenes programming that robot to do X, Y, Z experiment. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I also feel like um, slowly, I mean, not anytime soon, but I think in the future, we will be so dependent on our robots. And uh, like you said, we'll just be, uh, I think there'll be more of programmers behind the robots and uh, taking down any discoveries that have been made. Like you said, that the human brain is so important. Like. Um, so if there's a malfunction in a robot, we need humans to fix that. 
So I think in the future mm-hmm. there'll be more um, coders and programmers. So um, that's why I think technology is such an important aspect that every student needs to study, um, regardless of the uh, field that they're getting into, because that's basically the future. Oh, I completely agree. That's something I'm trying to learn more of as actually is programming, coding in general, because really all of STEM degrees are heading that way. Um, anything I want to do after college, there's going to be a component of coding. So I've been taking some classes, but that's something I strongly recommend to anyone interested in any STEM field is learn coding. I hate coding, <laughs> but you've got to know it at some basic level in order to be able to succeed. I mean, yeah, it's just so important now. Um, so like it, it is a must, like regardless, even if the person does not want to do coding, it still is a necessity now. Right? <laughs> yep. So uh, also one more thing, since your PhD, you said it's um, a five to six year course. So does it also include a co-op? No. So in my program, I don't think co-ops are particularly common, actually, but I don't want to universalize, like generalize that statement. In my experience from the PhD programs I've looked at and the one I'm in now, um, co-ops are not particularly common. There are internship opportunities for graduate students. Typically, they're in the summer. I actually have a friend that did one at Johnson & Johnson. Uh, and they're a great experience. They pay you a lot of money and you get to go to the company. And often, if it works out well, you've got a guaranteed job after your graduate school. However, not many PIs are willing to let their graduate students do that. And for understandable reasons, because they're having to take off eight, 10, 12 week period from doing their research to go do something that isn't helping their grad school uh, grad school research at all. Um, I do wish co-ops were more common, at least in American grad school experiences. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I'm not going to plan on doing one. And most people that I know of are not planning on doing a co-op. Oh, so um, is it also the same case for undergraduate students? Like, there, is there no co-op for biochemistry at all? There's quite a few. I actually did a co-op. It, we called it an internship. I went to Japan for six months and I worked for a company called Osaka Gas in Japan. Uh, I wouldn't say it was particularly common. You've got to seek them out, but the opportunities are there if you want to do those opportunities. And I strongly recommend anyone who has any extra time to try it out. Uh, that was going to Japan and getting to do my own research project uh, gave me the confidence I needed to feel like I could maybe stick it out through grad school. Because before that, I was always doing other people's research projects, uh, like another grad student. I was just helping out the experiments. When I was there, I got to be the one to plan experiments out. Um, I was the one re- reading research papers. I was pretty much doing what I'm doing now in graduate school. Um, and I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. So when you went to Japan, so was there any difference in the way research is carried out in Japan versus in uh, the US? That's a difficult question for me to answer solely because I've only done academic research in the United States versus I only did industrial research in Japan, which there's big differences. Even if I went to do an industrial position in America, there's a lot more rules and regulations than academic research here. Uh, academic research, you get a lot more flexibility in what you want to study, uh, what experiments you want to carry out. Well, industrial setting is much more, this is what I need you to study. These are the papers that you need to know. And this is the outcome we're expecting, but I need to see what you're going to get. 
Um, and that was similar in Japan, as it probably would be in America. But obviously in academia, a very different story. It's a lot more, uh, here's the general idea of the lab and go figure out something cool from that. Right, definitely. So um, now you're also a huge STEM advocate and a STEMist. So uh, why do you think more people should join these fields and why should there be more diversity? Oh, that also question. I think the biggest thing is the more diversity that you get in STEM and any field in general, the more diverse ideas you get because every person has a different set of experiences, right? But if you have the same group of upper class white males in the same field, you're they're all having the same similar shared experiences as each other. So they're going to have the similar share set of experiences, beliefs, uh, what areas they want to study. Uh, but the more, say, more women you get, the more people of color that you get in, the more experiences they're going to have, the more passions they're going to have about studying different projects. Um, and the more outcomes you're going to get, the more uh, research you're going to find as a result. Um, so definitely more, more people uh, from different backgrounds need to come into STEM. Definitely a lot of barriers still. Um, I wouldn't say they're as big as they were back back in the day. You know, women couldn't even go to college for science back in the day, right? But there's definitely more unspoken barriers, um, such as you don't see as many women professors in academia, right? You see a lot more men. I still don't know. Actually, the uh, the head of my department in University of Miami is a woman, and that's a really nice role model to have. But most of the other department heads that I know of are all white men um so yeah really it's just more diversity you can bring into stem the more ideas and thoughts you can bring along with it yeah that's i think that's perfectly put and um like you said that more the more the diversity there's going to be more things that a person can add on from a different point of view mm -hmm. so um that's exactly why i asked you what's the difference between the research in japan because i'm sure there must be some cultural differences in the way they look at um things so uh, as compared to the us so i'm sure that if people from all over the world of different genders, different race, they all come together to research something. Everyone will have a different point of view or a way to see something. So um, mm -hmm. I'm sure then we'll be able to find out so much more than just, uh, you know, uh, having some racial issues or not being gender fluid. So um, I'm sure that- Yes. Uh, like that's why I think, I'm sorry. No, no, go on. <laughs> I was gonna say that's, um, why I think some of the coolest research is when you have multiple institutions coming together to work on stuff. I actually work with, uh, is the Broad Institute. It's their uh, COVID genetics. Uh, let me look it up one second. HGI COVID. It's this big ah, COVID-19 host genetics initiative. And it's based at the Broad Institute, which is a collaboration between Harvard and MIT. But the idea is they have institutions from all over the world coming in and bringing different uh, data sets for them to all analyze to just understand more about COVID-19 in general. Uh, it's a really fascinating. They keep getting amazing results from it all. And I think the reason for their success is they're able to bring in so many different institutions from all over the world. 
Yeah, I think that's amazing. I didn't know about that. I will definitely look more into this. But um, if they are they are they have a platform in which so many different people can come in and work together, mm-hmm. that's just amazing. And I'm sure we will reach so far high if we just continue to work with more diverse people. So that's why I think STEM, mm-hmm. being an advocate for STEM, is so so important and encouraging more people to join this field because. Uh, we don't, as you said, we don't see a lot of women or uh, people from different races coming into the STEM field. There's just uh, white men. It even start, stems from the uh, cartoons that kids see when they're younger. Like um, there's Phineas and Ferb. Um, I don't know if you've seen that show, but uh, the I think the uh, person that's uh, the lab, the person working, the scientist that's working in mm-hmm. the lab. It's a white male, and you don't see any females um, that are working in a lab there. It's just that's just one example, but I'm sure there are so many cartoons that um, don't have any diverse backgrounds. It's just a white male always in a lab or just performing some STEM experiments. Funnily enough, that you mentioned that, I was just complaining the other day about on Instagram when I tried to put little, you know, gifts like little images of different cartoons in there. And I never am able to put a GIF of a scientist in there, or I, I can, but they're all white male scientist yeah, GIFs, yeah. <laughs> all of them. And it's always so frustrating because I want to put like a cool little scientist picture in sometimes, but I don't want to keep putting a white man in when the whole idea of my platform is to diversify STEM more. So I definitely feel you there. Yeah, I've observed that as well. So it's just something that we need to work on. And I know that we are over time, like the numbers are improving, but hopefully we can get to the same level or even better. So that'll be just amazing. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. Lastly, what advice would you like to give to anyone that wants to join the same field as yours? The best piece of advice and it does seem very broad but it's what I remind myself time and time again is do what you love you don't need to be the best at what you love but if you do what you love you're going to be happy for the rest of your life I love doing science research and I can be the first to tell you I am not the smartest in the science field I'm not the smartest in general I struggled in my science classes in undergrad I had to take organic chemistry and I failed my first exam completely failed like even on the curve I think it was like 40 percent or something like that failed it terribly and I remember going home crying to my mom on the phone saying I I can't do science I'm not smart enough I failed my organic chemistry exam and to do any science in my university you needed to pass organic chemistry but I had this kind of realization with myself is okay I can either just drop out of organic chemistry now and decide, okay, I've got to switch careers. I'm not doing science anymore. Or just go for it. Put yourself out there. If I fail at the end of the semester, I fail at the end of the semester. But at least I tried doing what I loved. Uh, And I think that's the biggest takeaway. Do what you love, regardless of what people around you are telling you or sometimes even what you're feeling. If you know that's what makes you happy, go for it. Uh, And secondly, onto this is find a community of like-minded people that can help you and motivate you through it all, through thick and thin. I think this this goes back to uh, my science Instagram and the community of women I found on there because I I can honestly say I don't know how I would get through my PhD if I didn't have so many other women on that platform to be able to talk to about, oh, my experiment messed up for the fifth time in a month. Uh, How the heck am I going to get through this? I might as well drop out. And just hearing from other women that, oh, they've been through the exact same situation. Um, 
it, it feels really nice. It's it's a good booster and sense of sense of community altogether. So I guess those are my two pieces of advice. Do what you love and find a good community to support what you want to do. Right, that's some really great and very inspiring advice. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much, Chloe, for coming on. I had a great time chatting with you and I got to know so many different things and I definitely learned your insights and your great experiences. So um, that's it for today. Is there anything you'd like to say before we log off? No, just thank you so much for having me. If anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, feel free. My Instagram is probably the best way at chloe.the.scientist. Um, otherwise, I have a website, chloecirk.com, which has a contact me page. Uh, yeah, and always reach out if you've got any questions about science or uh, curiosities about how to go into grad school, all of that. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. And to let all of you know, this podcast is now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all your listening platforms. Make sure you subscribe to all listening platforms and stay tuned for more.